0: Fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't
1: good to see you this morning, it is really good to see you this morning, it's good to be here this morning, isn't it, yeah, so those of you who saw Joshua, his little cartwheel and his man splits, that was something, you hear Josh, he's in, okay, he's in the kids church, um, that's what he done at the kids camp and it's probably one of the most exciting things and the chapel services that they got to see is Josh go across the floor. He's five foot ten or so, two hundred and pounds. And Miranda can do a lot of stuff. I mean she's very athletic and very acrobatic and things and she said, Man, to do that, that's that's pretty big. And uh so it was just we're really blessed to have Josh and, and his efforts and everything he does here at the church with the kids and stuff. Um if you have kids, I guarantee you they come home talking about the things that Josh and Teddy done. Teddy may not have said a word, but he's sure done everything that Josh done. And uh, it was a real, real experience for Ted, too. I know they have a great time. Um, I want to remind you a, a couple things. Uh, we've got Men's Summit coming up. And it's, the end of, it's September 26th and 27th or something, or 25th, 26th. But make sure you have the money in to, uh, to myself or to Josh Townsend. It's $130, and that gives us uh, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. We'll come back either Sunday morning, and that's probably when we'll come back. And so that's, that's that. And then the uh, first steps. Not first steps. I'm new. You know, we always stress that in our announcements, but everybody else does them. But last week and, and every other week, well, is anybody in here for, here for the first time? Anybody in here for the first time? One out right there right here, Josh, and um, we just like to have a, your information, you may be thinking I ain't no way I'm signing an old card. It's kind of like getting a coronavirus shot. I ain't getting a coronavirus shot for nothing. That's up to debate where everybody has a different opinion on. It. I'm gonna get off of that while I'm still alive. um we've been doing a series on Safe from what, and I could. You know, it could be saved from anything, saved from a uh, car wreck, saved from hell. Last week we talked about the reality of hell and the different uh, aspects of it. And, but today I'm going to be talking about saved from the trials of life. Because I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter who you are, you go through a lot of trials and a lot of things that are disheartening. And a lot of people get to the place and they're going through trials and they say, I felt like giving up. And I guarantee there's people sitting in here who felt like giving up a few times. There's a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of of, of second, third, fifth, 110th chances in our lives. We're going to be speaking from the book of Acts this morning in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And many people automatically say that's part of Pentecost or or speaking in tongues. And you better believe it is. But the book of Acts is is an action-packed book. From the first chapter to the second, the third, all the way to the end, uh, verse Chapter 23 to 28 talks about just the, the trials of, uh, that Paul went through. But all before that, you see so many things, people race, a lot of people walking who once were, were crippled, people who were uh, trying to deceive and, and, and make uh, fictitious claims about their giving and God struck them dead. And it's just a lot of history and a lot of stories in this, in this book. But I want to talk about dealing with our afflictions and dealing with our problems. There's not anyone in here. And sometimes maybe you're a new Christian and maybe you haven't had a problem since you got saved yet. You will. And some of you may think because you're pastor a church, you don't have problems. Oh, I do. And I have battles that just was, is within here. And I'll tell you what, one of the greatest battles is the ones in your mind. And sometimes we go to places and we dwell on things for so long and we really become consumed by what we think about. I'll go to, the, to uh, Acts chapter 1 in just a minute. We've all been through the things that we 're going through now, the frustrations you know I make reference to uh, laughing about children problems and things and Josh and Ted were up there at camp in and, and charity and, and brooklyn and, and different ones and there's a lot of responsibility And think about kids and, and dealing with them on a, a daily basis that way because they live with 20, they live with uh, about fourteen girls and ten boys, I think it was, something like that. And they live with them to tell them when they get up and have to tell them to shower. And, and all the other noises and things that happens in the room that nobody knows about, you get to know them. And you deal with a lot of frustrations with the kids. You've dealt with a lot of divorces. There's people in here have been divorced and, and sometimes if you think about your divorce, you're so bitter about it. Multiple failures. Tried many things and you failed many times. Many many addictions. We've had people in here, myself and different ones, we've had little addictions, and some of us have had really big addictions. Things that master us and things that control us, and we always feel helpless and helpless when we're in the middle of this addiction problem. And then the old dreaded why me's. You don't understand. You don't understand the why me's. I was talking to someone this week about uh, when I was in high school, junior high, actually, in, into high school. Um, we, we put so much emphasis on what everybody else does. And, and I was never invited. This is not a whining bit here, but, but a lot of people don't think that anybody else has experienced what you've experienced. And I, was, uh, I lived on the wrong side of the county, on the wrong side of the interstate. And everybody on that side was considered uh, a little bit different than everybody in town. And I wasn't invited to the parties. I'd hear them talk about parties and all this stuff going on and get-togethers at guys' houses and stuff. And I was never the one that got invited. And it could have really, really bothered me to a place that I got bitter toward all those guys, all my friends, all the girls and all the guy friends at school. And I was sitting in a class by myself. Everybody's talking all around me because I was right in the middle of them. But never once anybody said, hey, why don't you come to our house? What would you get together? Now, that didn't, I never told that much. I, I've told my wife against a time or two. But it is devastating at times because we feel that we are the only ones that ever experienced that. You've experienced it at that time, you'll probably feel it again. I wonder what I did wrong. I want to talk to you this morning because I believe the Lord wants to eliminate any thoughts of inferior, that you're inferior, that you're not good enough. You cannot overcome these things on our own. We can overcome a lot of things on our own, but there's some things that are deeply rooted within our being and disappointments in a life are so big, we can't overcome them alone. We've got to have the power of the Lord working in our life. He's done it before and he can do it again. I want you to look at the 12 disciples with me for just a minute. The 12 disciples, disciples—they—they they were he was selected, and I'm sure that if we've seen the, the qualifications behind each of their names, there's only a couple of them with any qualifications at all. But they were called... Can, can, basically considered misfits or, or people that everybody else would ridicule, people would say things about. Jesus had 12 problematic, misdirected Jews that lived with him for three and a half years. And they still had problems and they were misdirected in some of their thinking until the day he ascended back up to heaven. Why do they have so many problems? Because they're just like us. How many of us, when we have, we have an urgent, urgent thing happen in our life, when we really get down to business and prayer, We get down and we pray and we begin to fast and begin to see God, begin to seek his heart and his direction in our life. But something about us, when everything is just fine, everything's good and, and everything's normal, we don't do that. Peter, James, Andrew, Nathaniel, John, Judas, Thomas, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, Jude, and Simon the Zealot. I'm going to give you an explanation of each of their jobs because we only know about six of their jobs. The other ones we don't know. But most of them were fishermen. One of them was a zealot. Who knows what a zealot is? Okay, you probably know, but you won't answer, so look it up. Google it. He was a zealot. He was a Jewish zealot. One was the hated, disdained, disgusting tax collector. Another one was the thief. Who was the thief? Thank you very much. We need to wake up or something. Judas was a thief. That was what his career had been. I don't know what it was before, but it probably was always a problem that he had, and he carried it with him. None of these were well-versed in public speaking. None of them were diplomatically trained. None of these were well-versed in other cultures at that time. Some were just common joes that no one would ever have considered. I'm going somewhere with this. Many of us, no one would have considered us ever accomplishing things or life being different or expect anything different out of us except for failure. And sometimes many of us have accepted the same thing into our life and so we become a life of failures. We never see that we can have a victorious life and we can overcome a lot of things. I'm not saying the most wealthy. I'm not saying the richest. I'm saying victorious in the ability to deal with things that you've been dealt with in life. They dealt with trials just as you and I do. But let me ask you, when Jesus needed a friend, what happened? When Jesus needed a friend, what happened? He needed somebody to pray with him. What did he, what did he get? He had snoring back in the background. He walked up to him, and he was surprised. Not really, but it was a greater priority to them about sleep than it was. They didn't, they didn't see the need to, to, to spend time in prayer yet. When he needed needed him around, when he was in the garden, and the soldiers came and took their weapons and pulled them on them, all of them fled. We know that Peter retaliated with a sword, which is typical Peter, just the way he was. And maybe that would be you. Maybe that was me. But still, they were flawed people with a lot of problems. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. The problem with the disciples, they ended up being cowards when they should have been soldiers. Ended up being cowards and running from things because it got a little heated. It got a little different than what they were, they thought in their mind was going to be. And Jesus tells these same incapable men, these flawed men, these men with lots of problems and lots of excuses. Jesus said to them, verse 7, The Father is the only one who has authority Authority and decides the dates and times when things; these things are not for you to know, but when the Holy Ghost comes, Holy Spirit comes, to you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Judea Jerusalem, all Judea and in Samaria and every part of the world. Now, this to them, they just thought in theory; maybe they would be influential in these areas that were just you know a stone throw, a few miles away. They had no idea of knowing everything was going to happen because of their obedience you got to remember this is after the cross. It's before Christ ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1. Their lives have been a t- bunch of turmoil and a lot of a lot of failures. A lot of disappointments in themselves and disappointment toward God. What they've done for Jesus. Sometimes we get frustrated because we don't have a lot of answers. I know there are people in here that have, asked, have questions about things in their life that they don't understand. They become a little frustrated. They don't understand understand why this had to happen or that had to happen. Or why am I I in this shape? Life is so unfair. And they get so hung up on the response and what the answer is that they don't ever really see their need to do something in their life is outside of what has happened to them. So often we're so focused on that we can't see anything else. God seen everything that the disciples had done and everything he had ever done in the past, but he saw most of all what they could do. There's something about them. Jesus spoke this to them, that they would be his witnesses. In Hebrews chapter 11, you know what it's talking about? It's 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 a hall of faith chapter, and it talks about so many people. We all know about the Old Testament stories and people sacrificed a lot of things. But in verse 13, it says, all of these died, yet having seen what God had promised. They had never seen everything they worked for and everything they stood for come to pass. And many times, a lot of times, we don't see what what good God's going to do in our life yet. Yesterday, I was talking to my wife. I said, uh, help me think of something that scatters. Now, when when you think of something that scatters, some of you think of a a container of BBs. When you you open one and you dump it out or you accidentally lock it over, where do they go? Everywhere. How about uh, how about when there's a dead possum landing in your yard? What comes there? Flies are all over, right? So you go kick the fly, kick the possum, and the flies go everywhere. This is a kind of gross analogy. I got another one, and one that we can all understand. Of course, none of us really would have this happen, but you ever went into a room and you flip on the light, and little bugs go everywhere. Don't say anything. Roaches go everywhere. It's amazing that light causes what's wrong to go and hide. The disciples were the same way. They scattered like a bunch of roaches when Jesus was arrested. And how could he expect them to carry a message of Calvary? Calvary. How could he expect any one of us with the past, of junk in our lives, the way we've let him down, the way we have, we have sacrificed our, what we could have done with a lot full of a, a, a wheelbarrow behind us or a, a trailer behind us that's full of junk and things that we brought into our life? These people were, any, were, were anything but the cream of the crop. And we have, this, we have some cream of the crop people in here. Some of you, Just some people are incredible and what they can do, what they say, and just talents and different things. But these guys were not the cream of the crop. They were uneducated. They were hillbillies. They were temperamental fishermen. We know that Peter all the time fought off the handle. They were a collector of money for the Romans, which makes them very hip- hypocrisy. These very men, the very ones who would turn the world upside down. I don't know about you, but it. It kind of makes me emotional when I think about the greatness of God. He puts such great responsibility upon a bunch of people that were so caught up before He ascended, so caught up with what, what could have been, what should have been, what they thought was right. These were the ones that Jesus saw them as diamonds in the rough. He knew that they would become impactful to the whole world and that the world would never be the same after these men took hold and responsibility for sharing the gospel. Amazing what Christ seen and they didn't. So the gospel has been preached what and has impacted lives where? Over Over in Egypt, over in Israel, how about New York City, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Mexico, South America, North America, Alaska, China. Japan, Thailand, Australia, every place on this planet has had people who have sacrificed their lives and sacrificed their, their future on getting the gospel proclaimed out to other people. Are you doing what you need to be doing? Are you? I'm not putting you on a spot. I want you to look down and quit looking at me. I don't even look at you much. i look above your heads. How would we do that? How would we ever share the gospel with anybody? We're normal people. We don't have any servants. I know chauffeurs drive us here and there. We pick our own clothes to wear. We cook our own food. You pick your own gardens. We drive ourselves to the store. We wear deodorant because why? Because we smell. Because we sweat. We know what it is to have a, uh, we're not have a service cater to us constantly. We're normal people. What can we ever do? How many of you have heard of David Wilkerson? And many of you have. David Wilkerson was uh, uh, from Pennsylvania, and he was a preacher up there. He's a an assembly guy preacher in Pennsylvania. And he was watching the news one night in Pennsylvania of some teenagers who murdered a boy in, in the downtown street area of, of uh, New York City. And he gripped his heart, and the Holy Spirit just gripped his heart. He said, well, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? You want me to go minister to these boys? And so the story started. So we went, and he went to New York City, and he went there on the day of the court. And this was a God, a God moment. He went in and interrupted the court service and said, he held up his Bible and said, I've got hope for them. I want to minister to them. And, of course, they shut him up, took him outside. But the media had a big frenzy over things that happened in David Wilkinson's life. But this thing cost him something. It was hard to reach these kids. And he began to reach all kinds of uh, gangs in New York City. It was hard. It was devastating. It was difficult. It was expensive. And he was very inexperienced. But he went. And since he went 1958 or 59... It's amazing the amount of people have been touched. Their lives have been touched. It was a pioneer of of, of rehabilitation, rehabilitation, uh, and outreaches for men who were, who were struggling with addictions and, and struggling with physical with uh, mental problems, with psychological issues. Not not like a mental hospital, but labels and things that we put on ourselves. It was the the forerunner here in America. Now we got places like Breaking Bonds and and Crossroads, and we got. John 3, 16, John three seventeen. we got all kinds of ministries that have built off of what they started. And so we know hundreds of thousands of people now have come to Christ because one, listen, one man listened. It's important that one man listens. There's people in here. There's women in here. There's one person that will listen. It's amazing what God would do from your, maybe you'll never see it come to pass like Hebrews 13. But it's so imperative. It's so important that you learn to listen what God tells you to do. And that's what David Wilkerson did. How I many's he's heard of Nicholas Winton. I bet you nobody's heard of Nicholas Winton. Matter of fact, his family didn't even know what he'd done. He was a, a finance or something, something back in the, in the 1930s and 1940s. And he was, he was pretty well-to-do. He was a young man. And he went into Germany. And when he went in there, some people hit him up and said, we need to get these kids out of the country and so his first trip, he took like three kids. They sent him with him, and he took them to Great Britain. And he set up homes and, and places for them to go, and he continued to do this for the next so many years. And then 1939, it got stopped. He had already taken—listen—he'd taken 669 kids that he knows of out of Germany and sent them to Great Britain so they could have a life. They were Jewish people. His last load of kids who was coming out of this, out of this, this state or what he called country of Germany. There were 250 of these kids, 250. And the day that they got on the train, they passed the law. They closed off Poland. Because they had invaded Poland, they closed off Germany. Nobody else is leaving. 250 kids were never heard of and never seen again. His family didn't know it. His wife didn't even know it. He kept a journal of every situation, all the kids In 1988, his daughter found his journal, and he was still alive. And she started asking him about it. And then he began to enlighten her about all the things that had happened. It wasn't important. It wasn't important that anybody knew. And, folks, don't get messed up on your thinking. It's not important that people know about what you are, who you are. It's important that you go. It's not important that you return. It's not important that everybody made a big deal out of it. He didn't care if anybody knew. He wanted to remain anonymous. He just tried to be a venue for those kids to be saved. It's the same way with us. Sometimes we get so caught up on the on name of what we are, and what people think we are. Come on. It's the truth. How they done? I don't know, except for listening to God. I know why they done it, because they were more concerned about reaching the lost than they were themselves. They were the right men. They were the right men at the right place with the right ear to listen. The right ear to listen. Acts chapter 2. This event changed everything changed everything what we're about to read about. It changed everything in my life. It changed everything here. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was was fully come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a noise from like a a noise like a strong blowing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw something like flames of fire. And we're, I can't. Just a second. A separated and stood over each person there, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak in different languages by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is just the beginning. This experience. Have you been filled with the Spirit? Great. Are you doing anything with it? Have you, have you felt urged and have you felt compelled to begin to do something? Or are you just satisfied to sit at your seat and come up sometime when you feel moved and you get to seek the Lord and repent of your sin? But are we going out and reaching out to other people regardless of what we feel? Are you with me? There is something that happens. They were not filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be lazy. They were filled because they were the tool that God was going to use for the future growth of the kingdom it, we, we read about it in chapter 1. He said, you will be my witnesses, you bunch of losers, you, bunch of, you a bunch of has-beens, you former tax collectors, whatever. In chapter 2, 120 people were seeking the Lord, and they were waiting for this promise, and God filled them. This one event changed every person in the upper room. They could no longer deny And all their human reason, they can no longer deny. And many of us, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, and that's great. There's no greater gift that any of us could ever receive than that. But have we been in the upper room? Have you been in the upper room? Have you been one of those who were dedicated enough to separate themselves into prayer? Seeking the Lord and waiting on the promise. I've had some people that's told me I've I've tried to I've sought the Holy Spirit and I've sought seeking the speaking in tongues. Friend, anytime you go to be prayed for, you go to pray and you go to pray on your own or have somebody pray for you, don't go looking for something you can exploit it. And it's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And many times it becomes such an exploited thing in in Pentecostal churches. It's not. It's there to empower you to become a witness, become bold for what you believe in. And we don't do it often enough. Matter of fact, if we have a house full of people that are spirit-filled, very little is done outside these walls. Then filling the Holy Spirit brought it reassurance that they were at the right place in the right time. He gave them confidence. When the Spirit of God moved upon their life and He filled them with them, began to speak in other tongues. He gave them confidence. He allowed them to forgive themselves and forgive other people, being more persistent. And let me tell you, there's a lot of failure in our room, and there's a lot of us got to forgive ourselves. And look that there is hope even after we have failed, and after we've fallen. gave them passion for the lost, the hurting. It wasn't something that was just within David Wilkerson. It wasn't something that was just in Nicholas Winston. It was something birthed by the Holy Spirit. As he spoke to their heart and they felt compelled, and nothing could happen in life that they would not pursue what God had laid on their heart. How could a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues produce such a hunger and a desire in the life of a believer? It just does. It just does. It lets you know there's something supernatural that takes place. You know, we talk about a lot of things supernatural, but one of the most supernatural things can happen is that you can be praying, you can be seeking the Lord, and he can supernaturally, in, a, in something that's not natural, rest upon you, his presence, and you can begin, be, begins to flow from, from you. Utterances only God would understand. And helps us to move past our failures. It isn't a popularity gift. It doesn't mean that you're more spiritual. Oh, folks, wake up. Makes me sick when I hear people think about they're more spiritual than others. Stop. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for you to become more used in the the outreach of other people. It's not a status thing. It doesn't mean you're going to have higher position in heaven. Come on. That's not like a church in Kentucky and, and here too. He allows us to hear what the Spirit says, and listening to when he speaks. And you may be thinking, if you don't understand, just uh, talk to me later. Not right after church because I'm always busy, but this week call me. What does it mean to hear God's voice? When I, pre- when I was preparing this this week, I thought God gave me this message for us. For us, it's a word for the moment. It's a word that you need to hear. And some of you may be thinking, maybe it's a little bit out there, just, just bear with me. I'm not out there, maybe in the real world, and I'm not totally dorky. Well, that may be questionable. But but just listen. There's passion that happens in the heart of a believer when they're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Man, y'all can wait till 10 till, okay? Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then those, people who were, then those people who accepted what Peter said were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. I don't know about you. We had a, we had a, a micro season of revival and, and, and water baptism and people were being baptized. And I honestly believe that there was many people whose hearts and lives were changed just because they made a decision. They made a decision There's something within them. Just like I've said this so many times, but just like John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and people were coming with a repentful heart because they were compelled by the Holy Spirit. They were compelled because there was something wrong in their life, and they needed to get things right. And they didn't understand. Some people probably didn't even know why they were getting in the water. They just were crying and weeping and said, I need to be more. I need to be more of a man or more of a, a husband or more of a father. There's something going on, but it wasn't the water. It was the act of obedience. That brought this the work and the salvation. And in chapter in this chapter here, we see that three thousand people were saved, and they spend their time learning the apostles' teaching, sharing and breaking bread. Can you imagine what it was they were learning from the disciples? Go back in time. Jesus used to sit, and everybody would stand around him. And when Jesus would come to a story or, or something that was relevant to, to, to the time in which they lived or, or an episode that they had. He would begin to teach them, and don't you think that the disciples began to teach the same way he did? And it made a great impact upon everybody there. Three thousand people were saved and baptized. They began to listen. Verse forty-three: The apostles were doing many signs and wonders, and every miracles and signs, and everyone felt great respect for who the apostles, God. Anytime that a preacher gets up and you are more enamored with just the charismatic things that he preaches than you are about what he's preaching about. There's something wrong. They have great ability, it's great, but don't ever get enticed by everybody's TV, it doesn't matter. All the believers were together and they shared everything. They would, they would sell their land and things they owned and divide the money and give it to anyone who needed it. The believers met in the temple every day, and they ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. And they praised God and were liked by all the people. Every day the Lord, Lord added to, their, to those who were being saved in the group of believers. And let me just stop for stop just a second. 3,000 born-again believers. The rest, the rest, those next six verses, stay with me. The next six verses stresses They. And never says I, and never says us. Everything is they. Outreach became about other people. It was not about the disciples anymore. I think they finally understood that this was not about them getting a position with Jesus. They finally understood that this is about making a difference in everybody's life. And that's exactly what was happening here at this time. They all became devoted in fellowship and doctrine. And breaking the bread. They were all amazed at the move of God that was happening because the disciples were always looking for this, for something bigger than just following Jesus and him ministering to thousands of people and healing them. They were looking for the church to be born, and this is what happened. The church was born, and great things were happening. They sold their possessions and property, and the ministry was born to those present. Attended with one another and worked with each other, sharing their meals and food. There could be no division with with them, between them or anyone else, or God's Spirit would what? It would lift from among them. There was something that they learned with Jesus. Nothing was, they didn't learn it while he was alive, but after he was dead, everything began to, became crystal clear, and in our life, it's the same way. This was all done without ever expecting, without ever experiencing this type of unity before. It was just Jesus and his 12 disciples. He would go to town to town. Remember when he uh, cast the, the demons into the herd of swine? The people were not in unity, and there wasn't anything that God could do. The Lord moved, and they responded. Y'all can come up now. The Lord moved, and they responded. They were in, they were in this together. And they didn't have a problem with it. You know, that, that is so important. They didn't have a problem with it. The problem we have today in today's church, thinking that we're the only one who's right. Listen to this. Academics versus worshipers. If you wonder what that means, I'll tell you in just a second. People of action criticize people of prayer. Visionary thinkers, they won't work with the steady laborers. In other words, because we're different, you shouldn't, be, shouldn't have a problem. You just understand your differences. There's people in here that are, that are work, we're working, go get it done, get it done, but they're not as much on visionary thinking. People of action, criticize people of prayer. Let me tell you the lady something. I admire each and every lady that still comes to church and prays. Because you're not praying for just vain reasons. You're not praying for, for look-at-me reasons. See, a lot of people uh, get involved in prayer and they'll do stuff for a little while if there's a lot of notoriety on it. But when nobody else is looking, you're still praying. It speaks a lot. And those of you who have dropped out, you probably need to get back involved. missing ingredient for changing our world and our community the missing ingredient is not people it's not the Holy Spirit it's teamwork